Luke the or let's see let's go to Matthew the sixth chapter and my thought or focus this morning for just a few minutes would be entitled another look at awesome another look at awesome there was a season uh, there was a time in this church when it was almost like awesome was like every other word and it got so annoying and it got so uh, irritating I mean, we, everything was awesome. Peanut butter was awesome. Star Trek was awesome. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. I remember in one of our March for Jesus, one of the first ones that I believe we actually hosted that one, that we had a young man that uh, several years ago, I preached a sermon in Houston, the first assembly of God, a great church. Will the real Jesus Christ please stand up? And he gave his heart to the Lord. And through the process of time, actually, moved here, lived with Pastor Ron and I, worked with the youth, is now pastoring a very healthy church in the Orlando area. But as we were in the March for Jesus, he was so, he was so excited, so animated. He was saying, you need to scream with all your guts. You need to, what do you say? You need to scream your guts out that God is awesome. And, and uh, even that got a little annoying. I don't know, it just, I think, I think we will find a cool catch word and then we literally wear it out, whatever. I mean, if you can, and, uh, but, but we do serve an awesome God. And uh, those of you that, that weren't, weren't here Wednesday night, I had the privilege of ministering to the body. Pastor Rhonda went with uh, Courtney on her final fitting of the dress. And you don't, I cannot tell you how well I've done. I know exactly where the dress is hanging. And I've been asked not to look at it until that day. And so it was, Pastor Ronald left yesterday, and I almost went in the closet and looked, but I did not, uh, I did not do that. Uh, I, I honored, I honored my oldest daughter's request, which is kind of rare for me, and uh, did not get to see it, but she was with Courtney. And so I had the privilege of sharing, uh, we actually did, did more teaching and then a little sharing on how to memorize the Word of God, how important it is to know the Word of God, and to memorize the Word of God. And as we were uh, developing the teaching for Wednesday night, many of you know that I've been on a, a search uh, the past several months concerning three areas of life, and that is the area of the mind, the heart, and the mouth. The, the, the mind, the heart, and the mouth. In Isaiah, the 55th chapter, we are told that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And obviously before Calvary, we really didn't have the mind of God or the focus of God, the purpose of God. God had kind of remained at a distance. There were different ones that he would visit. He visited Moses. He visited Abraham. But really mo most of the Old Testament is all promising something better in the New Testament. And then when we're told in Isaiah that we can't have the thoughts of God or the mind of God or know the ways of God or know the thoughts of God, then we're reminded the Apostle Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal of God, but made of himself no reputation and took upon himself the form of a man, being found in the fashion of man, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every tongue should confess and every knee should bow. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for that. 
that, that divine intervention that we now can know God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as in the begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so we are introduced to a God that is full of grace. Grace is uh, getting something we don't deserve full of truth. We know that there are facts that we've received facts concerning Paul, concerning Sherman, concerning Pastor David. Those are all facts, but that's not the truth. Facts change. The truth says that when we declare for our body to come in line with the Word of God, our body has to come in line with the Word of God. And I believe it's God's will for us to get better. In Romans 12 and 1, the Apostle Paul urgently, I don't, I don't know how to describe the Greek word there concerning beseech, but it's almost to grab someone by the shoulders and shake them strongly. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the things of this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that was kind of the thought that's been with me for the past three or four weeks is, is the attitude or the fact that our mind can be renewed. About three years ago, I did something crazy. I went back to college. I took a computer class. The, the, the instructor was so kind, he actually passed me with the B. I really didn't deserve it. I know less more about a computer now than I did three years ago. And then I dove into Psychology 101. I was the old guy in the class. He's all, all these kids all around me. And I'm the old guy. And no one in the class knew that I was ordained minister except the teacher. And we had a lot of fun back and forth. And when everybody had said the final, whatever they thought concerning nurture versus nature, then the instructor would say, okay, what does the old guy have to say about all of this? And that was a, that was a lot of fun. But as you begin to look at Sigmund Freud, you begin to look at Jung, and many of the great psychiatrists or psychologists of the day, none of them actually found a need for a spiritual relationship with God. Matter of fact, they considered it a cop-out, that that was, a, that was socially, that was, that was not acceptable. And so for a long time, many of us have just felt like that if there's something wrong with your mind, you medicate. That's the attitude of the pharmaceutical world that we live in. If something is wrong with you, let's give you drugs. Let's try to find a balance. Let's try to do this. Let's try to do that. And as we've been looking at the mind, I've, I've been, been, I have learned that the mind is much like your computer. Most of you are very adept on the computer, and you know that your, your computer has a hard drive. Those are the basic components of the computer. Then there is the, soft, there's the hardware, and then there's the software. And the software is what you program onto your computer. I have an iPhone. Uh, the girls told me I would hate it, yet they all have iPhones. So I got an iPhone. And so far, I've learned how to work the flashlight, and that's pretty much it. The Google, it, but, but my phone has got all kinds of crazy things that it says I can do. I get confused with Facebook. I can't put pictures on Facebook, but, that I, but they claim that I have because all those things are programmed on that phone. When it, when, when it first came to me, it has some stuff on there. And I have learned in the process of feeding your mind or feeding your, feeding your spirit the things of God that you can actually, if, if you were raised in a bad relationship or a bad scenario, which is called nature. In other words, maybe your parents didn't go to church. Maybe your parents were divorced. Maybe your parents were, were codependent. Maybe your parents had, had drug problems and you really weren't raised up what you would call a leave it to the beaver setting. 
that you can through study and preparation and being around right people and hearing right things, right voices, right choices, you can reprogram your mind. And the Apostle Paul said, you need to renew your mind. So, so many of us are at a place where maybe some of the old thoughts or some of the old attitudes or some of the old adages, there's, there's time for a transition. There was actually a generation that thought the world was flat. There was actually a generation that really thought that. There was actually a generation that thought that the sun traveled around the earth. There was actually a season in time when astronomers rather thought that and, and pursued that. But since then, we have been overwhelmed with learning. We've been overwhelmed with knowledge, been overwhelmed with education. And it's almost scary today that if you were to go to Books A Million or go to McKay's or go to our Lifeway, there are, I guess I could say there are hundreds of thousands of books that you can read to educate yourself or to better yourself or, or to get really messed up, to really get out there. I guess it depends on what section that you're reading from and what section that you're digesting. But our, our mind is a phenomenal, a phenomenal piece of work that God gave us. The computer doesn't just have a hard drive and a soft drive, but it also has a energy source. And I don't know all about uh, computers, uh, a power surge, we have a, a power surge cord on our computer, supposedly, that if there is a power surge, it adjusts and it does not allow the computer to, 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 to get a glitch or to get stuff like that. But the power source that God has given us is that the blood of our body constantly pur purges our brain. It's constantly washing our brain with nutrients, with food, with vitamins, and all the things that we need to have healthy dreams, healthy thoughts that the, 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 the melatonin, the serotonin would bless the endorphin. We're actually learning, and you've heard it before, that says laughter is like a good medicine, but there are actually things that happen in your brain when that emotion called humor is touched. It actually brings a healing. There's an endorphin that makes you feel good. It's a, it's a pleasure syndrome. And as we begin to tear the brain apart, we realize that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's so phenomenal, too, when you begin to research just the, just the digestive, the respiratory, the, the senses in your body, the ability to see, the ability to blink. When you think about the ability to smell, the ability to taste, the ability to hear. And that's just, that's just five of the systems that God has put in our body to complement the other 32 systems in our body that all works together. People doubt there's a God who needs to watch a baby being brought into the world, the miracle of birth, the miracle of conception, how just that one little seed could find that womb and that, that a connection could be made and that a child could be born, a child could be brought in this world with all the, all the systems that we as adults have, that child has usually by the time it's eight days old. It's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal thing that God has done, that God has given us. And as Wednesday night, as we were kind of reviewing a little bit and we were just pondering a little bit, we begin to look at some of the scriptures that talk about the brain. Of course, one of those was for your mind to be renewed. Proverbs 23 and 7 declares this, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Matthew 12 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When Joshua got ready to conquer the promised land that had not yet been conquered for 40 years, Joshua had been mentored by Moses to be prepared to take the people in the promised land because Moses, because of just one act of disobedience, was not awarded that. At that time, 
He went in the promised land later with Jesus and Moses, and that is a wonderful, God always keeps his promises. But as Joshua was prepared to take the people of, of the, the Egyptian-bound captivity generation into the promised land, obviously Joshua was frustrated, obviously he was fearful, obviously he was troubled, but somebody stood in front of him, the captain of the Lord's host stood in front of him and told him that this book that he had, the five books of the law, one book, the book of Job and, the, and, the, and Psalms 90 was the book that the captain was talking about. He said, if you'll meditate, there's the mind, and think on these things and do these things. He said, not only will you be prosperous, but you will have good success. So we know the only time the word that success is found in the Bible is in Joshua 1 and 8, where it talks about meditating on the things of God, on the word of God. As we look at the, as we look at the word awesome, the word awesome is not actually in uh, the King James translation, but three times the word awe is found in the book of Psalms. And the Bible in, in Psalm 4 and 2, it's mentioned. In Psalm 33 and 8, it's mentioned. Psalm 119, 161, it's mentioned. Psalms 4 and 2 says, stand in awe of your God. Psalm 119, as, as it talks about being fearfully and wonderfully made, talks about I stand in awe of your word. That David was just overwhelmed by the word of God. He made the statement, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Here in America, we have coffee and cigarette breaks. In England, they have tea breaks. But David had praise breaks. David said, seven times a day do I praise thee for thy righteous acts and thy judgment. And what an what a, what a, what a example for us to know that there is power in praise, that when the mind and the heart and the mouth all get in line, begin to speak the word of God, the things of God, that good things happen to them that live their life hidden in the word of God. As we look at the, as we look at the brain and, and attached to the, to the heart and the mouth, the word says, if you think about it long enough, it's going to get in your heart and you're going to speak it. And the desires of your heart are going to come because of what you're actually putting in your brain. So whether it's nurture or whether it's nature or some psychological byline, whatever it is, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as we, as we, as we look at the word fearfully and wonderfully, I want to bring attention, if I may, to, to Matthew. I'm in the sixth chapter, and I'm reading from the King James Version because this Bible has words larger than my other four translations, so I can actually see this a little bit. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, is not life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Look at somebody and say, absolutely. Which one of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statue? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I send you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Here's two references that the Lord wants us to, to focus on and he wants us to discover. And that is the fowls of the air and the lilies of the field. I'm not sure how the five lakes that I, I dug several years ago, I didn't actually dig, but administrated and oversaw the project of finding springs in our property and then digging a lake so that the lakes are always full of water. 
And uh, I'm not sure how it happened. I may have caught a bass in Georgia, brought it back for Tennessee, put it in the water. Somebody may have gone to Florida, caught a bass. That, those things could have happened. But somehow my lake was introduced to a lily, and I call it the lily from hell. Because if you leave it alone, all it does is grow, and all it does is try to suck out and take up all of the square footage of a lake. Now, some lilies are good for the little fish to hide in and the big, the big fish to bed in. But for the most part, every year I've had to take poison, which is never healthy. And I've had to spray the banks to try to maintain this lily that literally wants to take over. And the past two years, uh, I had a horticulturist spend some time with me and educate me concerning my lake. And said, the reason your lake is full of lilies is because your water is so clear because it's spring-fed the sun hits the bottom of a lake, germinates it, and causes those lilies to grow. He said, what you need to do every, every spring of the year, you need to dye your water a bluish yellow. So for the past two years, I've been going to co-op, and I've been buying a gallon of dye, and I've actually been dyeing the lake. And this year is one of the first years I can tell you, we finally have the lilies under control. The lilies are not going to take over the world. They have been defeated and put in their rightful place. By adjusting the color of the water in, in relationship to the sun's affection and the sun's attention, I can con control the environment of my lake. But when I think about lilies, I want to talk a little bit about the lily that's found in the Amazon. It's a lily that has the ability, it actually is birthed out of mud in the floor of that, in the floor of that lake or that river, and that, that mud will produce a root, and that root will grow as, as tall as 30 foot because that lily will not survive if it cannot be directly attached or affected by the sun. So what will happen in Brazil, these, these, these lilies will grow up, and then they'll begin to place themselves on the surface of a lake. They appear in a little bud with thorns around it to keep a fish from eating it before it matures, and then it matures. This lily, with just a few hours, can manifest and become six foot in diameter, one lily. And this, this happens every single year in the jungles of the Amazon. What is so cool about this lily is that it produces a white flower, and for some reason, there is a beetle that's attracted to the color white. Although the Amazon has many different flowers, many different colors, this white flower attracts the beetle. When the beetle makes its way to that white flower, the lily pulls up its leaves and it imprisons that beetle just long enough for that beetle to pollinate that lily. And when that beetle pollinates that lily, that lily will release that beetle. It will go to another white flower. But what is so phenomenal is that once that lily is pollinated, that white flower turns pink. And that lets the beetle know this lily has already been pollinated. You don't need to pollinate this lily. Go on to the next one. How phenomenal, when you say consider the lilies how they grow, how phenomenal that this white flower would attract some kind of weird beetle, and this beetle would find its way, pollinate that lily, and then that lily would turn. Does that, does that impress anybody or bless anybody? I just, last night I had a little fun with Bailey. We were, we were talking about Captain Crunch and we were talking about Fruit Loops and we we're talking about Rice Krispies and, and uh, we brought up Cocoa Puffs. Of course, all of you know the cuckoo bird is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But let me, let me tell you about the cuckoo. The cuckoo is one of the most unique birds of the forest because the, the cuckoo has manipulated away 
for other birds to incubate, to hatch, and to feed their young. And the way they do it is they will watch a robin or a finch build a nest. And when that robin lays its eggs, the cuckoo will go and it will lay one egg in that nest. It will kick out one of the eggs in there so the robin's not confused. The robin leaves eight to ten eggs, comes back to eight or ten eggs. And that cuckoo egg's laying, although it's a different shape, different color, different size, different smell, that robin will take on the responsibility of sitting on that egg. When that egg hatches and that cuckoo is, is, is birthed and sits there on the nest, the robin will leave the nest to go find food to feed that, that one egg that's already hatched. And while that robin is gone, that cuckoo bird will push all the other eggs out of the nest. And when the robin comes back, there's only one bird there. And so that robin will devote its time to spend to, to, to feed that bird until it learns how to fly and it reaches maturity. Does that impress anybody in this house that the, that, that, that cuckoo bird will lay 20 eggs within just a few days, 20 different nests, 20 different birds. Some of the birds, when the cuckoo hatches, is actually bigger than the mother bird sitting on the nest, but that mother will, will, will nourish that, that, that egg because it's in its nest. When he talks about the, the, the flowers that he, and he talks about the birds, how he feeds every single bird, how unique and phenomenal God really is. Several years ago, Dad told me, he said, son, we have a beaver. I said, Dad, we can't have a beaver. We don't have any running water. He said, I'm telling you, we have a beaver. And sure enough, somehow the beaver wandered outside the parameter of the lake and made its way to Frontage Road, which was very detrimental to the beaver. The beaver got struck by a fast-moving object and did not survive. As it laid there on the side of the road, it was about 35-pound beaver with great big teeth and a great big tail. And I had to apologize. I said, Dad, I don't know at all. There's a few things I do not know. And you're right, we do have a beaver. We don't have a beaver anymore. But now we have six beavers. And for some reason, the beavers love them. When they have pups, they have six or eight pups. So every year... I take my 12-gauge, 3-inch mag, and I go out, and I eliminate every beaver I can because a beaver, for some reason, wants to cut down the trees that I have gone to a great deal of difficulty to plant, to fertilize, to water, to make sure they survive. One year, I went to Bryant's Nursery, and they had some, some killer white birches on sale. Like they were almost giving them away. And I bought five of them, and I lined the side of Dad's cabin with these five beautiful birch trees. And after two or three years, they were looking very nice. It was the white birch, not the peelable birch, but the white birch. And they stood out. And one day, I went to Dad's house only to see that Dad had taken a machete and had whacked all six, all five of those trees about two foot high, just whacked it, and it was laying there on the ground. I said, Dad, what got into you? What made you cut the trees that I planted, gone to so much trouble to, to water and fertilize? He goes, I had nothing to do with it. He said, it was the beaver. He blamed it on the beaver. And sure enough, we found a place where there was some water running. And what a beaver will do, a beaver will see running water, and it will dam up that water. And this is very ironic, which is su supposedly the very best angle that, that when the engineers design a dam, they do the dam at 45 degrees, which is the, the perfect angle to, 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 to hold water back. And that's the angle that the beaver builds his, his dam. How ironic that the very, the very excellent di dimensions that the engineers will use, that God had already put in the mind of that beaver. That beaver will divert that water into a pool, and he will let that water get three to six foot deep, and there he will raise his family. And if that pool... Over 
gets overwhelmed with water, that beaver will cuddle and let that water. It's amazing how in the mind of that beaver, it knows exactly how deep the water's got to be, knows how to manipulate that water. I mean, I thought that was just incredible. I think it adds a new uh, dimension to the word awesome. Here I am trying to kill him, and God's got him cutting down trees and stopping water, storing up water, making the water go wherever it wants to go. And I saw and I, I realized it wasn't just to my chagrin that this was happening, but it was happening to the Duck Dynasty guys. That They had a, a beaver that came and stopped up all their water, and they couldn't catch their fish, so they went out. I don't know if you saw that episode, and they blew the, they blew the, the they just blew it up with dynamite. Went back the next day, and the dam overnight had been rebuilt by the beavers. So let the games begin. It became a competition to see if the guys could get the dam. And we have a friend in South Georgia that, that he is always inviting us to come in to shoot every hog we want because they destroy the farm and to kill all the beaver because it's damming up all, all of its water. But I thought only God could put that in the mind of that beaver, the ability to protect and defend its, 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 its young. When I uh, moved on to Ash, Ash Drive, there was a large tree in the middle of the road that eventually it died. And when they went to remove the tree, they found a section about three foot tall and about 18 inches in diameter that was a solid honeycomb that these honeybees had decided to, to build their nest in this tree. And the engineers claim that, that the, 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 the diagonal structure of the honeycomb is the perfect dimensions for storage. I thought how ironic that the, the honeybee has the ability to manipulate the, the purpose of the sun, where the sun says it will wag its tail. Be careful what I say here. It will wag its tail 20 times a minute, creating that little pocket for honey to be stored. And when the sun shifts, it will actually shift its body and in, in, to be parallel with the sun's rays somehow. And there are times when 75,000 honeybees will inhabit that one nest and only has one, one, one queen to, 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 to make them all, I guess, go out and get honey. I don't know what. Something must motivate them trying to get the queen's favor. That's competition, 75,000 bees over one queen's attention. But those bees will come back. And as, as you look at honey, we know that it's made of fructose and glucose. It has vitamins B1, B2, B3, B6, vitamin C, as well as calcium, sodium, chlorine, sulfur phosphate, magnesium, potassium, and iron. I think yesterday, Pastor Ronna spent about $60 on four of these particular vitamins that are all found in the honey, which is God's gift to us. And the honey has been used to cure so many different diseases, so many different illnesses. And only God could put in that bee the ability to produce this kind of food source. And as you look at God's ability to always have more than enough, look at somebody say more than enough. The cow always puts out more milk than it can drink. The, the chickens always lay more eggs that it can hatch. I mean, it's just the nature of God above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that God has placed within us. I thought that was so phenomenal. Most of you know that I got this thing about butterflies and I, I've studied the monarch butterfly, which is probably the most beautiful butterfly that, that you'll see here in North America. But what is so ironic, the butterfly has four generations of life. The first three generations are only four to six weeks long. That means when a, when a, when a, when a butterfly will, will, will lay, a, lay a seed and that caterpillar turns into a butterfly, through the process of a cocoon, that butterfly, if a, if a swallow or a sparrow doesn't eat it, will only live to be six weeks. 
but the fourth generation of, of butterflies, the monarch butterfly, will live to be eight months old. And what that butterfly will do on September 21st, does anybody know what that date is? That equinox where the day is completely balanced between night and day, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of butterflies will leave Canada and they will fly 3,000 miles to the ridges and the, and the plateaus of Mexico and there for four months they will feed on nothing but water. And then on March, I believe 21st, is that, is that my right day? March 21st, anybody know what that date is? It's also an equinox where the day is completely same amount of light, same amount of, of, of night. I didn't know that. Did anybody learn anything new this morning? Does that, that help you? On that day, hundreds of thousands of butterflies will make their way back to Canada, and there they will lay their eggs, and there they will hatch out, and then that will start the process all over again. How in the world does three generations of butterflies only live to be six weeks old and the fourth generation lived to be eight months old. Maybe that's because there's a creator that knows exactly what he's doing. And when he spoke the worlds into existence, he thought out every single little, every single little detail, every little. And here's what he says. If God cares about the fowls of the air and the lilies of the field, how much more does he care about you and I? Yes, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's a great God that watches over us and pushes us to be the best that we can be. There's a wasp called the pepsis wasp. Let me tell you what this wasp will do. This wasp will seek out a tarantula because the tarantula's sting does not affect the pepsis wasp. It has some kind of immunity built in its body, so it will find the hole that the tarantula is in and it will sting the tarantula. It doesn't kill it, paralyzes it. He will drag that tarantula out of that hole into a hole that he has prepared and there that pepsis wasp will lay one egg. And that egg will hatch out in the belly of that, that, that tarantula that is already subdued. And that pepsis wasp will live and feed off that tarantula until it's old enough to leave the nest and fly on its own. And every second day, that pepsis wasp will lay an egg. It lays 20 eggs, 20 tarantulas, putting that egg, putting that egg in the belly, in the stomach of that tarantula laying on its back so that that baby wasp will have something to eat. Has anybody ever heard anything as crazy or as phenomenal as that, that, you know, we consider the lilies, we consider the, the things in our backyard, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But a few years ago, there was a new uh, display brought to Chattanooga, the, the aquarium. Does anybody remember what it was? It was the penguins. All of a sudden, we in Tennessee have penguins that came from Alaska. And what's so crazy about Alaska or in that, in that region in the, in the north the weather sometimes gets 45 degrees below zero, yet that penguin has a unique layer of fat that allows him to keep his body temperature at 104 degrees Fahrenheit. How cool is that? Debbie, were you impressed by that? I was impressed by that. And that crazy penguin will lay one egg, only one, and sometimes it will lay that egg as far as 60 miles away from the ocean, but the ocean is where the penguins feed. And so it will lay that egg, and, and, and right after it lays the egg, it will head to the ocean, and it will leave the male penguin there to guard the egg. For, so, so for that four-month window, that male penguin does not eat, does not have anything to eat, will lose half of his body weight, and almost on the day or the day after that egg is hatched out, ironically, 
that female ping will show up from the ocean where she's been for four months gathering up food and she will go to the baby penguin and she will begin to regurgitate all that she had eaten in four months and she feeds that baby penguin until that penguin becomes a mature bird and has the ability to find its way into the ocean. Consider the fowls of the air. How crazy is that? Uh, one of my, um, so, some of my experiences haven't always been that good in the woods. I remember when I was about 19 years old, we were in San Bernardino, we were quail hunting, and uh, some rabbits jumped out, so we were shooting these rabbits, and to run to get the rabbit, I stepped over and I heard this really scary noise and looked back behind me, and there was a rattlesnake coiled on the trail that I had jumped over him. He didn't see me, and you know, I've come to the conclusion that the only good snake is a snake that's been killed several times. It's good and dead. That remains dead. And I feel like God has called me to be the watcher of the, of the community, make sure there's no snakes running, running around. I know people get mad if you kill a guard snake or a, a guard snake or a, or a chicken snake. But to me, a snake is a snake. Put whatever label you want it. If it comes around me, it's dead. I'm sorry. That's just the way that I roll. But that, that, that head of that rattlesnake is so sensitive that if the temperature decreases or increases one thirtieth of a degree Fahrenheit, that snake can sense that and know there's something in the area that's either going to hurt it or that it can eat. When that snake senses it's something that it can eat, it will get as close as it possibly can. It will coil its body and strike, if you can believe this or not, at almost <coughs> 50 miles a second. That's 186 miles, 1,000 miles an hour. That's how fast a rattlesnake can strike. That rattlesnake has such poison in its body, and it has the ability to open its mouth 180 degrees. I have a friend in, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, that he used to raise snakes, and he would put a little mouse in that, in that and that mouse was like almost twice the size of that snake. But he would put that mouse in that cage, and within a day or two, that snake would open its mouth 180 degrees and swallow that rat. And you could actually see the, the mouse processing down the snake's body, be a lump, and it would go smaller and smaller and smaller. And I thought, how phenomenal. But did you know that a, an eighth of an ounce of rattlesnake venom can kill 250,000 rats? Just an eighth of an ounce of rattlesnake venom. And when you think about God putting that in that, that snake's ability to protect itself, defend itself, to have, that, to have that poison, to have the ability to crawl. If you've ever, Solomon said, there are three things that are too wonderful, yea, four that I know not. Of course, you know, the first one's the way of an eagle. The second is the ship at sea. The third one is a, a way of a man with a maid. And the fourth one is the way of a snake upon a rock. To watch, to watch its ability to recoil and coil and, 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 and to move without feet and to move without any, 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 anything moving it, just that, that snake. Just thinking about that gives me a chill on the back of my neck. And let's talk about, let's talk about something else. I want to talk about uh, the gecko. I don't know if you've seen the commercial. You can save 15% on your insurance, but did you know that Pinocchio was not a very good motivational speaker? I'm sure you've seen, I'm sure you've seen that one. They, they, they have a hard time figuring out how a gecko has the ability to walk straight up walls, upside down, and to hang there because there, there was no glue. There's, no, there's nothing that glue, that, that they, like a spider has, has like little portions of glue that it can attach itself. But they begin to study the, the, the paw or the, or the claw 
of the gecko and found hundreds of thousands of membranes that have the ability to feather out and even on solid concrete can find the pores of that concrete and it can, it can, it can, it can grab a hold and it can hold on. And I, I was doing some study about the gecko, but they said if you could, if you could get just uh, a million, uh, the way they measured is in the sete, C-A-T-A, if you could just get a million of, of the sete, and the sete would be the size of a dime, it says that it, it would hold up a 45-pound child, just the size of a dime of that particular, and it said if you could take all of the adhesion that's in all four feet of the gecko, you could support a 280-pound man upside down. One little old gecko. No wonder you can save 15% on your insurance because he has all that ability and power. Most of you know that I'm always talking about the hummingbird, the uh, hummingbird and the bumblebee in relationship to the weight of its body in, in ratio to its wings. It is aerodynamically impossible for a hummingbird and a, uh, a bumblebee to fly. It's impossible, yet it does. And it does because God put in that mind of that little, that little hummingbird, you can do it, you can do it. The wings beat up to 80 strokes every single second. 80 strokes. 80, it, it, its heartbeat is over a thousand times a minute. Can you imagine that? And that's why it's constantly eating. When it goes, when you see a, a, a hummingbird approach the nectar of a flower, it will actually take a dozen sips of nectar every second. That's how quickly it feeds itself. It's constantly, it's constantly feeding itself, constantly putting that protein in its body so it can accomplish the task of flying from Alaska to Hawaii, 1,800 miles. They have the ability to make that journey because they allow the adrenaline to get so high that the body temperature comes 143 degrees Fahrenheit. It has the ability to hibernate in the night. And sometimes they, some, some hummingbirds can fly as long as 36 hours without resting. How phenomenal. But the Bible says you are more than the fowls of the air and you are more than the lilies of the field. Uh, most of you know that we have five lakes and every, every spring we hatch out anywhere from six to 12 uh, goslings. We have, we have geese that will pair up. They'll build a nest and they'll hatch out. And about half of them survive. The coyote, and the, we have a coyote in the ranch and a fox in the ranch, and they, they eat the little goslings. Actually, we had a bass one time eat one of our goslings. That's how big the bass are in our lake. But every year you watch these geese as they migrate, and they fly in a V formation, not realizing that the strongest goose is at the top of that formation and the angle of its body is 72 degrees, which aerodynamically, I've been told, is the perfect angle to glide at 72, at 72 degrees. It creates a shield that all the other geese behind it are protected and they fly in the shadow of his shield. And there will be three geese, they will, they will swap out. One will lead it for a couple hours, then another will lead it for a couple hours, another will two or three in agreement, getting this flock from, from the cold weather to the warm weather. How phenomenal and how incredible is that? Someone give a Lord a hand clap of praise for those Canadian geese. And then, uh, can't stop uh, teaching this morning about the nature and, and the creation of God without talking about the woodpecker. The woodpecker is one of the most phenomenal creatures in, in life has the ability to drill right through solid concrete, has the ability to smell an insect even if it's an inch deep into the bark. The woodpecker has a, um, a tongue that's up to four inches long, which is three times longer than its beak, and its, and its tongue actually coils around its brain. The, oh, it gets better. The woodpecker gets better. 
when, when, you look at the, when you look at a bird, most birds, their beak is directly connected to their head, but not the woodpecker. The woodpecker has a little sponge-like substance between the beak and the head to protect the head when the woodpecker pounds into a tree trying to get out insects or trying to get out rodents or trying to even... I, I thought I had some... I thought I had how many times it, it pecked per... Would you like to know how many times it pecks per second? Well, I'm sorry, you'll have to come back next week as I find that information for you. It, it can bore a hole through solid concrete. Who, who would have thought? It, it, it sticks its tongue four inches long into that tree to be able to suck that insect out. And then the last thing that I want to talk about uh, this morning in my notes. Well, that was the last thing. How about that? I mean, when, 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 you, when you think about the wonder of nature, when you think about several years in a row, I would fly into Anchorage and then take a little plane or a van to a place called Soldatna. There the, key, the Kenai River comes in through Soldatna. And when you think that those salmon will make their way upriver and it, it, the journey actually kills them, they will die shortly after they go and lay their eggs. They will lay those eggs and those eggs will hatch out and they will flow out the river into the ocean. They'll stay in the ocean three to five years at a time. And then there's something built in the mind of that salmon that it will make its way back within a few feet of the river that it was hatched out. Within a few feet. And there it will lay its eggs and then it will go up river and it will die. And, and, the, and the, the, the bear and the, and the, the eagle and, and different carnivorous creatures will feed upon its carcass. But when you think about that, that ability to find its way home, I think, I think that God has placed in each one of us the ability or the desire to find our way back home. When the prodigal son found himself in a place he didn't want to be, he thought that was a good choice for his life, and he didn't want to be there. He reflected about the things that God had provided for him at home. And today, as we get ready to reflect this week on what God has done for us, the things that God has blessed us with, know today that we're probably, every one of us, operating below our potential of ability, below our potential of talent. And I encourage you to find somebody that will embrace those talents, those abilities, encourage you to do better, encourage you to be better. Uh, lately, the past three or, three or four days, my house has been a madhouse as Pastor Ron has been doing the P25. I don't know if you know anything about the P25, but this guy has more adrenaline than a woodpecker, a monarch butterfly, and a beaver all in one. I mean, he is the most hyper guy. He makes me so much, and he doesn't even drink coffee. He is a, he is a, and, and con, there's this constant rhythm, this constant pound, this constant. And I thought, you know, I thought about maybe I would go in there and do the exercises with her. And so she's in the living room doing the exercises, and she's, she's, she's exercised for a long time. So I'm up in the hallway, up six, six uh, feet where she can't see me. And so I try to do the one thing. I can't even get, I get down in the position, throw the legs out, and come back up. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even throw the legs back up. I said, yeah, I'll keep eating honey buns, and I'll just, I'll think my way into new body. I'll think my way into losing weight and losing pounds. But today, I want to encourage you. I just, I want to encourage you that. Uh, there's a guy that I hunt with in Rockingham, North Carolina. Pastors, a great church, and I'm, I'm, I'm usually with him every other year. But he would always tease me and say, you need to get your mind right. You need to get your mind right. And when you realize what God has for you and some of the areas that God would like to flow through you, 
Let's get this mind fed. Let's get this mind transformed. Let's get this mind. Let's start bringing good stuff in and finding out what God really has for us in this journey that we are on. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just for a moment. Father, thank you for the seed of the word. Thank you that we realize that you are an awesome God and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made.